Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater, and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. You're dialed into Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Be a part of the show live every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Facebook, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, or the CMSNetwork.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater-centric podcast. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMSNetwork.com. We are live at those four locations every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you are tuned in on YouTube, don't forget to click that like button, click that subscribe button, and smash the notification bell so that you are notified every time we go live. If you are looking for video replays of the show, every episode that we've ever done is on our YouTube channel, or you can go to the YouTube channel of the CMS Network. Our show is there, along with a ton of other great content from the CMS Network, including a special appearance that I did this past Monday on Chris Aiken Presents. You should check that out. It was a great time. Aiken and I goofing around for two hours. Uh, If you are looking for audio versions of the podcast, just Google Talking Into Infinity Podcast, and we are pretty much on any platform that you can think of, so check us out there. Without further ado as usual my uh partner in crime mr brian hendrickson mourning the fact that his st louis blues are not in the hockey playoffs for the nhl this year they are not i'm trying to do some magic so we can draft this connor bedard i know you're probably not much up on hockey but he's supposed to be the the next goal scoring phenom yeah no 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 offense uh Leave that guy alone. Let my Columbus Blue Jackets get him. Oh, okay. I, as as much as I don't really follow hockey, I am a Blue Jackets fan because they're they're the Ohio team, and so I guess they really sucked this year from what I when I was keeping up with it. So I'm hoping they get them. So yeah, I don't think they sucked enough. They started winning, I think, a few here and there. So I, we'll we'll see. I mean, there was like I guess it's kind of like the NBA. The was it the one year when San Antonio got Tim Duncan and they. They should have been like fifth or whatever. You know? Yeah, you're gonna be one <laughs> right. of those scenarios. But yes, yeah, as, as I was telling you, I was up until twelve thirty a.m. watching Edmonton play last night. So I'm I'm like invested wow. in these in these hockey playoffs. I really think it's the best true like uh, barometer of, of of in all of sports because it's just such a slog. Eighty one games and then sixteen, and and you saw the best team, the, the most points in history, the Bruins. Thank God we're knocked out. F Boston. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. very much so. Now, if, F we have, if, we, if we can have the Celtics lose too, we could we can have like another however many million sad Boston meme. You know, fan <laughs> memes. that would be amazing. I am totally with you on that, man. <laughs> but uh, uh, we're back to talking Dream Theater tonight. I guess we it's are. Been, we been, are. It's been a while. Yeah, we're, we we're down to only two records that we haven't uh, done a deep dive into, and this is this is one of them. Um, Real quick, since this is something I, I spoke about in the intro, Chastity Crawley, good to see you. She says, yeah, that alert was very confusing with you and Chris. Yeah, you can uh, you can cross broadcast when you're on another show. So on Monday when I was on Chris Aiken Presents, I didn't know that. And it says, do you want to broadcast this to your network? And I, oh, yeah. 
So I, I just hit broadcast, and there was a live show with me and Chris from 8 to 10. So um, that that will happen from time to time. I'm sure Brian will make an appearance on Chris Aiken Presents. Uh, that was my first time on there, but uh, it was it was a good time. If you guys haven't seen it, I, it is on the Talking Into Infinity YouTube channel or uh, the CMS Network channel. It was it was a fun discussion. We interviewed a new band called Seven Stones, and they were pretty cool. Uh, it was kind of like a, I would say, I, I I said it's kind of like early two thousands new metal, if you heavied it up and mixed in some southern influence. So pretty cool. Um, they're actually going out on tour with Texas Hippie Coalition. So uh, we we talked to their lead singer Drew, super nice guy. That was fun. But yeah, so you might get stuff like that every now and again. Uh, if we are doing something outside of the talking into infinity box so but to your point brian we are back and we are talking dream theater and robert reams says of course this album deep dive is tonight absolutely love this album he's at the haken concert in cleveland lots of dream theater fans here uh robert if you are able to hear us how is the attendance there we were wondering if there was a lot of people, not a lot of people. We were wondering how that was, how the you know the tickets were going to sell because we weren't sure if that was kind of too big a venue for Haken or not. So, if you can hear us, let us know what the attendance looks like so far. But uh, yeah, so back to Dream Theater, Brian. Uh, this is an album for me. I don't go back to a lot. This one and Train of Thought, I think, are the two that I I revisit the least. Um, what, what about you? Where how, Do you come back to this one? Are you a big fan of this one? Like, where do you stand? Well, I didn't even know when this album originally came out, because if you look at it, it came out literally only two years after the first one with Mangini. Mm-hmm. And I think that was cutting it too close um, in listening to it now. But I do have a new appreciation for... It's weird. Can you have an appreciation for the songs, but still kind of be annoyed with the album? <laughs> we've, we've talked about like these sort yes. of differences between an album can have great songs, even if all the songs are great. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a great album, which is a stupid probably concept to try to make an argument on. But I will do my best to sort of to sort of guide through that sort of type of a thing on this. <laughs> um, but I think I will go back to songs off of here but not the album itself. And have we become more creatures of that just because of the way we consume music now or because we're old school, if an album is good enough, we should be going back and doing the entire album. That's almost a show in itself right there for a discussion. Yeah. Um, no, you know, I, I think that might be singular to dream theater, honestly, because if you know, my favorite band is Van Halen. Dream Theater is a very close number two, as I've mentioned many times. And I love all the records by both bands. And there's ones I go back to less, this being one of them. But I think with Van Halen, like I'll listen to the ones that I don't listen to a lot more frequently because they're easier to digest. I think with Dream Theater, what you have is because of the complexity of the songs and there's so much to take in to sit through an entire record. If it's not like, you know, for me, like if I, if I put on falling into infinity, for example, it's I'm going all the way through uh, distance over time. It's kind of the same way images and words. But if, if it's an album that you like most of it, you, you, let's say you like all of it, but you're like, okay, well, this is not what I normally come back to. It's a lot to digest in one sitting. Cause there's so much going on. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I, I guess 
So I'll just start right off with saying like there's there's a there's kind of a sadness to this album. Um, there's sort of a, a, a dark sort of melancholy in a way, you know. Like there's there's like hmm. there's a little bit of hope under the surface on some of the songs, but I don't know. It it's it comes across kind of monochrome, and I, I've I've been on here before talking about this. Like I absolutely hate the fact that it, it's self titled. I think that is, <laughs> I think it's a it's lazy, and b it's just it's the twelfth album. I think. 12th or 13th, I think it's the 12th. It's the 12th album. Like, don't, don't. And I read something online. I don't know how true this is. It's like, well, this was supposed to be like a sort of a new beginning. Well, don't call it dream. <laughs> then why are you calling it dream theater? <laughs> the dream theater, <laughs> dream theater. That doesn't sound like a new beginning yeah. to me. I, I, I don't know. So I, I'm kind of annoyed with that. I don't think the album cover does anything. You know, that's sort of that monochrome feel, like it's sort of boring looking. Um, I think they kind of dropped the ball on that, especially because I really love the cover of uh, Dramatic Turn of Events. Yeah. And some of the video stuff they did with that. So I, I don't know. It's it's things like those are those are the type of things about this album that right off the bat just kind of strike me a little bit off. Okay. Yeah, I I think I think for me what gets me is the production. Um I, that's the biggest thing that stands out and it's always stood out to me and when, when you're listening through the record i mean obviously the first thing is the snare drum it's not good it sounds like the snare is actually off so that you know as, as you listen to the record as a whole you can kind of get used to it as soon as you put on any other dream theater record you hear it you're like oh my god that snare drum and i think the other thing about it is that th- this this is lacking a certain size and depth in the production. And I think it comes from the vocals and the drums. The drums sound like there's no, it doesn't sound like there's much reverb on them. Uh, it just sounds like you're in a very small, tight room. There's no thundering space to it, you know, like you would normally hear on, on you know, other, other albums. And the vocals have a weird effect. The only way that I thought to describe it is kind of like a digitized effect it's not you know again it's not big it's not lush and you know the guitars sound great they sound you know the same um i think at times the keys could come up a little bit in the mix but i still think that's really good and the bass is really present especially in some of the solo sections which is great i think this has some of uh john myung's best bass tones but I, but for me, it's the production. It doesn't sound as big as all of the other records. It's more direct, tight in your face, and I don't, I I don't particularly care for that from a Dream Theater album. If that if that makes sense, you know, it's like I, I want something bigger, and I, I think I think that's kind of where it, it hits me. I don't know if I get melancholy. It sounds kind of adult. I th- when you say melancholy, I guess the thing I would compare it to would be like. Queensryche's Promised Land. You know, they said that when they wrote that record, they were writing from the perspective of a band that had had made it. They had finally made it, and now, okay, well, we're grownups now. We've got money. We've got what do we do? Like, how has life changed? It's like, and and so I guess I I kind of hear a little bit of that in this. I don't I don't know if I'd call it melancholy like you did, um, but to me, I hear a little bit. Maybe it's maturity, I suppose, or something, um, and maybe it's just them fall you know settling into their new skin without mike portnoy you know three years into that 
Yeah, so Chastity Crowley says a little tired. I, I don't, that's not a horrible word for it. I, it's weird because we're going to go track by track and then I'm going to start saying how much I like certain things in these songs and these songs <laughs> right. in general. So I'm going to come across, it's like, well, now what are you talking about when you're saying this? But <laughs> right. it, it, I don't know. The performances are sort, sort of uninspired. I don't think this is, I don't think Petrucci really drives much on this album. I'm going to kind of disagree on the guitars. I don't, I don't mind the, the tone okay. of them, but but I think there's only like two two songs really where he kind of drives and the the riffs are are just there and super memorable on guitar and the rest I think is kind of I don't want to say thrown together but Jordan sort of kind of more maybe the keyboards are more sort of driving them but they're kind of flat in the mix like you said they're probably not pumped up enough and I don't know there's just there's just there's, there's something Tired, uh, melancholy. I'll go back to monoch- monochromatic. Just, just very flat, and I don't know. I don't. I don't get enough. There, there's definitely some highs I get, but I don't. I just don't feel the dynamics between the middle and the highs like I should because I feel like I'm riding the middle so long on 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 this thing. And I guess it is the production, like you said. I don't. I I don't like the snare. I don't like the bass drum either. Um, to me, it just sounds like a. You know, it sounds like a electronic drums kit. Like, doesn't even sound like a real drummer's playing a, a lot of it, which is weird because I thought on distance over time that was totally mapped out, and that feels more live to me than this does. So I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I. The the other thing with the drums, I think, is that, you know, the cymbals are too low in the mix. Yes, the, like yes. a lot of the a lot of the cymbal play that you would normally get, you can't really hear. And I, and and it just it's a lot of kick and snare, and the, the you know the the octobons, um, or rototoms, which you know whatever it's the correct term for those ones he always he used to have really high up yeah. above his head. Um, th- those are really present, but yeah, I think it, 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 it there's not enough symbols to I I just I just think the drum mix really hampers the production on the record, and you know I think you know. I've always thought this, and I think I've mentioned this on previous shows. You know, this album, they it was an experiment for them. They said, Well, let's see if we can take our long form songwriting and fit it into short form. Like let's let's write more concise songs, like four minutes, five minutes, whatever. Um and I don't. I don't think it was as successful as it would later be on on distance over time. I think for that type of experiment, I think distance over time nails it, and I think this one does not. Well, is that partially too because of the way this was recorded? And I haven't read up on this one. Was this more one of the ones where they all kind of come in and already sort of have some ideas and and then try to put them together, or was it you know? as organic as distance over time from my understanding of that was everyone get in the room and just start jamming and let's see what happens no i think this was they they, they've always been doing the let's get in a room and just see what happens thing since oh god it was a few a few records before portnoy left they were doing that um so I, I don't I don't think it's that. I, I also think part of it is like I don't really think they hit their stride with the Mangini lineup until the Astonishing. And 
I, I know a lot of people don't like that record, but it, that record feels a lot more natural. It, it, much more natural to me than Dramatic Turn or uh, the self-titled record. And then obviously Distance Over Time is, is awesome and the new record is great. So I, I think they were getting their footing not having Mike Portnoy in there as a third songwriter, um, which I think is why you, you notice that records like you know Distance Over Time and A View From The Top Of The World are very guitar driven. Like you're saying, this one is not. I don't. I, you know, I, I. I don't. I hear a lot more keyboards on Dramatic Turn as well, and then obviously the Astonishing is a whole other thing because it's a concept record. But I, I think when they really hit their stride, it's like Petrucci's. Like he kind of takes over. It's like okay, you know, let's let's have some kick-ass guitar. You know. By the way, uh, real quick, I want to bring this up. This is a this is a good question. Brandon Charles, good to see you again, man. He says, say they released a remastered version. Would you like the release better? Uh, I would actually. I I, th- I think it would hit me a little better because the production does lack in certain areas to me, and it, and, and I can't get around it because it's it's not like minor stuff. It's not like when you're listening to an '80s record and it's all tinny and shit. It's like the whole record's like that. You know, okay, well, all the '80s are tinny and shit. Like whatever, you just, you just accept it, and move on. With this one, I, I think it's like, God damn, that snare drum and, you know, the, the the vocals with no space to breathe. And, you know, it sounds like they were recorded in a closet or something. Um, so, yeah, I, I Brandon, I, I think I would prefer a, like a, rema- a remixed, remastered version. What about you, Brian? Would that help anything with you? I don't know. Those are always tricky, those... I mean, can you name a remastered thing that you heard and were like, oh, my God. Like, the only one I can think of was, like, uh, Aerosmith took, and this was going way back, like, I think late 80s. They remastered some live some live stuff they had, basically, and put it out. Put it out as new, but it was stuff that I don't know had necessarily been released before, but they went in the studio and sort of doctored it up and it sounded absolutely freaking amazing. You know, it was recordings from, like, 77 to 79 whatever you know Mm -hmm. that that period but other than that i don't know the remastering thing like i don't think you're gonna fix the snare like you're not gonna magically how's that gonna you know what i mean that's the sound that it is yeah i i think if i was gonna compare it to anything i would say and this might be heresy because i know a lot of people hate these releases but i thought there was a lot to like about the megadeth remasters because parts that were tinny they kind of fattened up. Um, I did not like what they did to the snare drum on a lot of those because it, it took a lot of balls out of it. But I mean, if you if you play the original version of Rust in Peace back to back with the remastered one, I mean, it, it, it there was some really stupid changes in there. Notably, the the Magic's Five, like oh, you master Magic's Five, like he put a fucking Muppet voice in there. But um, <laughs> I, have to, I have to hear that now when we're done. With oh the show. God, it's terrible. <laughs> it's like you know, and the original, it's like oh, I master Magic's Five, and the remastered literally goes oh, I master Magic's Five. I mean, it's I when I first heard it, I was like, it was one of those like what the fuck, like like you just you you're like what is that? It's like what oh, the hell, God. like. And, and to do that, especially on a record that all of us know, like the back of our hands, like what the hell? But if you like uh, Hangar 18 is the perfect example. If you play the original version and then put on the remastered version, it's way louder, way heavier. And you're like, OK, like this is, you know, 
Uh, Brandon Charles, he, he went against me. He says, yeah, I was about to bring up Megadeth. Can't stand the new versions of Symphony of Destruction or Hangar 18. See, dude, I think, Brandon, I think the new version of Hangar 18 is heavy as balls. I love it. I think it's great. I think the guitar harmonies stand out more. Um, Symphony of Destruction, I, I, that whole record, Brandon, like I was saying, the snare drum is... is <laughs> I don't know why Dave changed those damn snare drums, man, because it was they were fine. I mean... <sighs> So I, I I might be on board with the Symphony of Destruction thing. I, I think I think it took away some of the, again the size of it. It was a perfect mix. It was perfectly recorded, and to kind of break it down, I didn't like. But I man, Hangar Eighteen is way heavier, so that's cool. Um, so yeah, so why don't we go track by track on this, and uh, see see what we got. Obviously, this uh, starts out with uh, the False Awakening Suite. It was uh, one of the one of those times. Have they ever, I'm trying to think like off the cuff, have they ever recorded something like this where it was obviously, okay, this is the show intro, but they put it on the album? You know, this big, long, you know, like it wasn't long. I shouldn't say that, but yeah, I don't think it's they, two minutes and 40 seconds. Yeah, I've, I've put the same thing. I thought this is like, this is, should be the, the intro to come on stage <laughs> and not <laughs> right. on the, not on the album. I, I, I don't know. It, it's kind of like, is this a science fiction movie intro or in a way it's also kind of previewing the astonishing, I think, to some degree. And I think we hear that. I thought the same di- thing. We yes. hear, well, the, well, the melody on this and the last song, it, it, I don't know. You, you kind of start wanting to sing the, the, the astonishing melody in parts. I it feel like, but, uh, <laughs> right. I don't know. There's a really cool guitar. Uh, once you get like two minutes in that, that spiraling guitar thing, but this whole thing, it almost feels more like the way that the the actual song ends, if you want to call it a song, it feels like a finale than an introduction. <laughs> it's got this <laughs> yeah. big bombastic ending to to this this suite or whatever. I, I don't know. It's a little it's a little strange way to start the album, and I, I don't had I don't think it has thing one to do with the next song at all. So like right away, I don't know if I'm confused or 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 what's going on. I, I have to admit, I like it. I, I thought it was cool. And when I first got the record, I was like, okay, like, there's a lot of really cool melodic stuff in here. Um, I, of all things, I actually think it could have been a hair longer. I really, and that's because I really liked the the melodic choices that they made in this. I thought it was really cool. I thought it moved through it a little too fast, which is, which to me is a perfect, perfect analogy for the whole record is that i think they land on some really good ideas but then go past it too quickly it's like i would have liked to have heard more of that which is you know why i said i think that the you know distance over time is a perfect example of them nailing what they were going for on this record but yeah i mean i i like this i don't mind it um you're right it has nothing to do with you know the enemy inside but i think it's cool man it's got it's it's i just like it as a piece of music I I, th- I think it's cool, so I mean it, it it was it was obviously okay. We know what we're gonna get when we get to the live show, like you know we always know okay. Well, the first song is gonna be, you know the the first track on the record. We know that, but um, this was the first time. It's like okay, now we really know what they're coming out to. Yeah. So, all right. So moving on to the first actual song, we have the enemy inside. What are your thoughts on the enemy inside? Yeah, I think if you're talking about what they were going for, this is the one where they probably nail it the best, right? It's six minutes, 
you got enough prog, you got enough heavy parts. Um, I love the keyboard taking that melodic riff solo thing after the first chorus or second chorus. Uh, it's one of those DT songs where you you know you're hanging off the edge of the roller coaster, all those hills, and close to, like you're this close to falling off the track. <laughs> you know, right. it never never really lets up, and it just gets into full gear. And I think if if they're going for the shorter, to the point, but still you know has some crunch and still have some metal in them and, and enough little prog parts, this is probably the quintessential uh, song to do that on this album. Yeah, I I really I really like this. I think it was. A, to me, it was obvious right off the bat that this was um, something where, unlike a dramatic turn of events, Mangini was like, okay, he wrote his own drum parts. I mean, just right off the bat, you've got that, you know, the that uh, Roto Tom thing, like going into the main riff. It was like, okay, yeah, John Petrucci didn't program that into a drum machine to go, hey, play this. <laughs> like that's, that's Mike Mangini being like, hey, check this out. So I thought that was pretty obvious right off the rip. Um, so that was cool. Uh, this it's it's a it's a great it's a great song, man. I know I had it lower, pretty low on my opening songs list, but I think that's just because I I like the other opening songs better. But yeah, I I completely agree with you that if you, if they're going for a more concise presentation, uh, this song definitely is the one that kind of nails it. Um, a couple other ones on the record do a good job of it, but I think if you're looking for that progressive side of Dream Theater, I think this is the one that kind of nails it, and um, it it does it it does also set a precedent for the record. I will say one thing: I think that the choruses on this album are really strong. There's a lot of really big choruses, and and I think that's why the production kind of pisses me off so much because I think if you had that huge, lush, normal Dream Theater production we'd be talking about this record as maybe the strongest in terms of the quality of the choruses in all of the songs. So, um, th- you know, this one starts down that path of having a really good chorus. And um, it also, I, I think John's uh, John Petrucci's solo work on this album is some of the best he's done. And this is another great example. And yeah, I, I like this song. This is a cool one. And I, I kind of wish they would play it more live. I think this would be a good song in the middle of a middle of a show. Yeah, this seems like a, the standard, like, you know, if they're going to do something where they're trying to hit every album or, or hit certain areas, like you almost would have to pull this one out. But, uh, yeah, I like this. I mean, this is a good, you know, I don't know if we ended up putting this on our uh, safe for non-prog lovers list or whatever we called it. <laughs> this, this probably yeah. would, be a, would be a decent one, though. Yeah. No, I think it is. It's, you know, it's got enough of the you know the dream theater elements to go okay like they do do all this crazy stuff but it, but it's 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 to the point it, it doesn't over prog you it, it's just one of those things like i think if you listen to this as someone who only knows dream theater as a band oh i heard they just do nothing but noodle it, well you get a little bit of that in this song she's like oh I, oh I can hear that but i think you can also you know get into the song structure and, and it's, it's a little you know how direct it is compared to some of the other materials so um pretty pretty cool uh, moving on to track three, we have what I feel might be, uh, actually probably is, the best song on the record, uh, The Looking Glass. And to me, I, I think, is, isn't this the one everyone's like, oh, this is so Rush-influenced or something? Um, yep. I, can, I, I can definitely hear that, but th- this, is, this is the song that stood out to me immediately upon getting the record. And I, this is a song I do go back to a lot. Um, there's there's another there's another one on this album that I go back to quite frequently, and um, 
but th- this is the main one. I-, I just think this is a phenomenal song. The guitar solo is one of John Petrucci's most perfect pieces ever, in my opinion. Um, it's just the melodies are everywhere. It- it's it's a more upbeat kind of a song, and it's just catchy. And I really love how the in the chorus where it starts out. You know, with like the the clean core, like the clean channel guitar, and just a you are living a tragedy. You know, the the breathy vocal, like mellow, yep. and and then it you know gets live without shame, like you know goes back into it and stuff like that. And then the verses are more rocking than the chorus. I just really think that's such a cool presentation. So that yeah, this is definitely one of my it's my favorite on this record. And it's actually. It's pretty far, it's pretty high up there in, t- in terms of Dream Theater songs that I really, really enjoy. So one of their, again, one of their rare major keys, um, although <laughs> te- technically when the course, I think, goes, it probably goes to minor, but the, the main riffs and stuff are mostly major, which is, you know, mm-hmm. at least gives you a little bit of happiness to sink us out of kind of that monochrome <laughs> right. melancholy I've been talking right. about. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love the guitar riffs in this. You know, we, we don't even hit five minutes on this song. It's 4.52 is what I had mm-hmm. it clocked at. Um, you know, the breakdown bridge with the bass driving it, and then there's that solo, that, you know, it's the first solo on here with the super melodic, you know, thing that Petrucci does that we just love to death. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this 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 kind of this song i think embodies what you're talking about of the vocals never breathe like he doesn't take a breath i don't think on on a lot of these and this this is one too where it sort of feels like that in times but uh but great song i mean in general i I like the there is a simplicity to this but it's a huge nod to uh sort of moving pictures yep i think i think they make some really interesting melodic choices on this album in certain spots so it, it it kind of stands out in the catalog for that reason it's a lot of things that we hadn't heard from them previously but i think this one kind of anchors you in that feeling of okay this is a dream theater record this is you know okay for all you hardcore fans like you know this is this is what you came for and i i, I think it's just an excellent song and to your, to your point i mean it's less than five minutes long i think this is one of those ones that feels a little bit longer but in a good way i i think it feels like there's more there than there actually is so i i i love songs like that where you're like holy shit really like it, it's only been like five minutes like i i love that that's just that's just awesome to me so uh moving on to track number four i know i got shit on for this but um to me one of their best instrumentals enigma machine where, where do you stand on enigma machine Ladies and gentlemen, on wind chimes, Mr. Freddy Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's the heaviest riff they've ever done that starts out. The down, down, down. Uh, you know, it, it ends up taking off. It, it sounds like Inspector Gadget after a few beers on a detuned metal binge. <laughs> right. I mean, hey, hold, hold, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Hold your okay. thought real quick. Okay. We got to pull this coming up. Planet of Shape says, yay, glad you guys are on. I'm serving tables at work, but hiding in the back for a couple of minutes here and there to listen. Ha ha. Planet of Shapes, that is amazing. <laughs> Who the hell is Planet of the Shapes? <laughs> oh, man. He's whoever, whoever, whoever he is. He, he's he's listening to us while he's working. So that's amazing. Thank you for tuning in, bro. Hopefully you're having a good time and hopefully you're making a lot of tips tonight. Tell, tell, tell those people to tip heavy, man. That's, you know, working for a living. So. 
That's awesome. awesome. Thanks, man. So anyways, man, sorry. We, I had to bring that up since he's only in and out. Oh, no, <laughs> so no, no. I wanted to bring him up there. So anyways. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a spooky Halloween free-for-all. I, I even hear like hints of like Mr. Scary in this. You know, they, they get some some uh, guitar harmony things going on there that are kind of eerie. It's a, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mind this one. I mean, it's six minutes, which I think is good. Um, yeah. If this is nine minutes or even eight, I'm probably super annoyed at that point. But uh, I really love that that cool like keyboard wind chimey thing that starts it out and and uh, there's enough little little interesting things in it. Yeah, I this one is one of my favorites, man. It's like and, and specifically for the reason that you just mentioned, it's it's got this cool like evil vibe to it, and it's creepy and man, it, it this song just jams. Like you said, it's 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 kind of like the perfect length isn't it like you said like six minutes and i mean again th- this was kind of another obvious thing on the record but okay well when they play if they play this live we know where the drum solo is coming <laughs> right <laughs> like, so we knew that was going to happen uh so yeah i i just think i i love the heaviness of it um to me like th- that's one thing that stood out to me uh, upon repeated listens to this record is that I, f- I felt the same way I felt when I first got it, that the record starts out really, 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 really strong. And, you know, I, I like the first four songs a lot. I, I think they're very solid. Uh, <laughs> Chastity Crowley, she says, this is the alien on the farm song. <laughs> she was saying earlier that it sounds like, you know, like there's all sorts of goofy sound effects and there's an alien uh, like just c- comes and lands on in like a farmhouse in their farmyard or whatever. Um, yeah, it's, I, I just think this song rocks, man. And I, I think the first four songs, like it, the album starts out killer. And I think it's just like the back half that kind of are, are, are the songs that don't grab me, you know, as much, uh, start starting with the next one. Um, the bigger picture track five. Uh, what are your thoughts on the bigger picture? Man, I I am maybe I'm going to disagree with you on this one because if this is <laughs> if this is where you say it's going downhill, I think you're insane. I I think this song is criminally underrated. Okay. I I I mean I'm I'm going to almost put this in the spirit carries on category. I mean it. I'm always partial. To pian- to, I'm partial to piano stuff, but man, you start with Jordan on piano, and then the acoustic guitar comes in with the piano. You know, and then we get those, you know, Petrucci does one of those thematic solo thing, melodic solos again, you know, where it's like you're on the Pegasus riding into the great realm beyond, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then after the after the first part of that solo, he puts the harmony on top of that. So you got the, I mean, you, dude, you're floating. It's an out-of-body experience. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I absolutely, I completely missed this song Um the first time around and when we started up the show and i kind of started going back and listening and we're like doing different episodes of you know trying to pull songs out for whatever type of topics we had i went i remember hearing this and going wow it's pretty good and and then i came back to it a few times and now i'm just like absolutely love this and and we you know at the end you sort of devolve into what we talked about it's like that 80s summer guitar riff you know you turn the windows down you know you just sort of sort of start feeling good and I don't know, man. Seven forty. This song just kind of takes on a couple different lives of itself, and and I love where it ends up. Yeah, it's it's not that I dislike this song. I just think it's not as strong as other songs on the record. I mean, I I like it. Don't get and you 
don't get me wrong, and and you're correct in saying that it, it does sound really big and it's you know it's got a majestic feel to it in parts. I I just think there's enough parts that I'm kind of like yeah that's okay. Like that, they're kind of average sounding to my ears. That I'm like, all right, well, you know, like the, the first, the first four songs. I mean, granted, "False Awakening" suite's just an intro track, but um, I, the, the first four songs I really, really liked all of it. I could just listen to them, like, cool, man, no complaints. And I think, I think that this is um, the first time where you know, on the record, I'm like, nah, I don't know, because because I think, you know, like I was saying. There's some stuff that they do on the record that it's so good, but they cut it off and move to another thing in the interest of trying to condense their songwriting. That, And I think this song's a perfect example. There's a couple different parts uh, that I, I just think could be fleshed out a little bit more. So I think, like I said, it's not that I dislike the song. I, I, I'm not saying the record's downhill or anything. I just, there's some parts of the song I'd like to hear more of. And I feel like, damn, like it was a missed opportunity. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, uh, am I muted? Oh, nope. God, who should I <laughs> muted myself? <laughs> you know, you can look on the, on your own screen and yeah. see if it says muted. <laughs> Sorry, I was on my I was on my other screen. Um, yeah, I I don't know, man. I think this one flows pretty darn good. I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, when, when we're going to get to some of these other ones coming up here, <laughs> you'll you'll see that I I totally agree on a few points you've made earlier. Yeah. Um, but on this one, I think, man, this is just a great. Uh, I, I just love the piano. I love uh, his voice on this. I think this this suits him absolutely great. And uh, I have no idea if wasn't there one on here they'd never played before. Was that Surrender to Reason? Uh, yeah, Surrender to Reason. Okay. Um, I don't not sure how many times they played Big Picture, but man, that would be. I'd love to hear this live. Yeah, it'd be good. I, I wouldn't mind. This is this is not like Ministry of Lost Souls where it's like, damn it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, uh, Robert Reams, uh, he says, very inspirational song. Almost sounds like a prayer. Very spiritual based off the sounds and lyrics. Uh, Giovanni Palaya, good to see you, man. I haven't seen you in a bit. He says, uh, the bigger picture was a blueprint for Barstool Warrior. Great song. You know, Giovanni, I love that point because... I would completely agree. And I think that, you know, it just falls in line with what I, you know, said a few times on the show that I think that uh, Distance Over Time is the successful version of the experiment they went for on this self titled record. So, uh, good call there, man. I, it's probably not what you meant, but that, that kind of falls in line with what I was thinking. So, uh, moving on, we have Behind the Veil. Uh, this is uh, we talk about a guitar song. This has one of the kick-ass riffs on on the on the record. It's that that you know John Petrucci. Hey, I really love metal. Check it out. <laughs> Types of riffs, which is awesome. Um, I, I like I like how the again kind of like the Looking Glass. The chorus does something unique, um, and I, I like how it goes to the halftime, and you know again, just these big choruses on this album. I, oh man, I wish this thing sounded better. If it had production like Dramatic Turn or something like Six Degrees or you know uh, uh, Scenes from a Memory, man, oh man, this thing would be huge. But um, yeah, so I love the metal riff. I, I love the chorus. Uh, th- this this is to me this is an underrated song. You said the bigger picture is underrated. I think Behind the Veil is a little underrated. I I dig this one. 
Now, I will say it does suffer again from I could have used a little more of certain parts of this song. So I think that kind of takes away from it. But I, I think this is a great song, and I, this is one I wouldn't mind hearing live more often. Where do you stand? Yeah, I I like the, the really cool beginning with those with the keyboard sounds. Um, did you notice on the intro, there's a little bit of creeping death right there? The yes. It's like, yeah. There's a serious creeping death vibe there. Right. Yeah, I like the changes and the accents and the court. I I agree with you 100%. The courses are out of this world on some of these songs that I kind of originally sort of thought were throwaways. But I'm going to disagree. I'm not a huge fan of the riff. I'm not a huge fan of the verse. Uh, okay. What I do like guitar-wise on the chorus, there's a, uh, with the guitar harmony thing there, kind of right as they're finishing the chorus. Um, if you notice, there's a very Empire mind crime thing going right there. It's like literally, and I think this is what you're talking about. Like I would love a little bit more of that. It's just like those little three-second riffs that he does there. And you're like, man, let's hear a few more of those. But uh, it's one of the few where we get Jordan doing the solo with the super fat synth-type sound, you know, which kind of goes back to Sticks a little bit. And I, I love when he does that on his, on his solos. But, uh, yeah, this I, I wish the verses were a little stronger for this, in my opinion. Um, but I, I love the chorus on this song. Okay. Yeah, uh, Giovanni Palaya says, The looking glass equals Rush. Behind the veil equals Megadeth vocally uh yeah i could see that i could see that the only thing i will say though I, I obviously i don't think we're hearing megadeth in the chorus though giovanni um you know that's just one of those giant like soaring dream theater choruses and but i mean in the verses and stuff yeah i mean it gets pretty heavy which is cool this this one has it, it's a very diverse song i think in terms of the feel you know, it kind of goes back and forth. It keeps a certain energy to it, but I think it, in terms of feel, it, it, it kind of goes back and forth, which I, I I really like. So this this is this is a great song to me. And I, I you know, I, I was going to say this at the outset and I forgot to. So I'll mention this now. Listening to this record a bunch over the last week you know, to prepare for tonight, I had a Hendrickson moment where... Oh boy, this could yeah. go like forty different ways. I'm sure none of them are going to be good. <laughs> yeah, um, no, like, but I mean, there's been a couple of records that we've done a deep dive into that when we went to go into it, you're like, yeah, I don't like this album, but then you said, you know what? When I listen back to it, I actually really like it. And like I said in the, you know at the beginning of the show, this one and Train of Thought are the two that I I go back to the least, and I like this one a lot more than I remember liking it. So, you know, again, the production takes away from it and my issues with it, I still have those issues, but I I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I had previously. So I, I think that's kind of cool, you know? It, it's, it's nice to come back to a record that you don't really think about and go, damn, yeah, this is, man, I like this part, I like that part. So I kind of had that, like, so I enjoy that. And I think this, this song is a perfect encapsulation of that. So uh, moving on to the next song. We have uh, Surrender to Reason. I don't have much on this song because this one is just kind of there for me. Um, I, I don't really have many notes on it because it's like it doesn't really do much for me. This is the one song on the record. I'm just like, yeah, okay, cool. Like it's there. It's a dream theater song. It's good. I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't kick it out of bed, but, you know. I'm not asking it out on a second date. So, uh, you know, like, uh, 
not a lot not a lot of memorable stuff on here but you know good chorus again at least i like the chorus and it, it's just it's it's a, it's an okay song I, I could see why this is the one that they've not played live uh, what what do you think well i'll say if the looking glass is rush and behind the veil is megadeth then surrender to reason is i guess fog hat <laughs> <laughs> No, sorry. I just wanted to get a fog hat reference in there. <coughs> fog hat. Oh my god. That was literally like the second record I ever bought was Fog Hat Live. <laughs> I, I love that song Slow Ride, man. It was amazing. Oh not, my not, god. Not even kidding. But no, I mean there's okay, so this is a huge you're you're not a big rush guy. So you fog hat. So you won't pick up on this, but the beginning is is the this can sound confusing? The beginning of the song is the end of losing it off of the Signals album by Rush. Okay, and the riff that kind of comes right after that—that that, that's a huge permanent waves type free will riff in general. That that's a very Rush thing. But then this is where I'm going to agree with you. Like this song is kind of all over the place. That we go into that acoustic guitar thing, and and I don't know how this stuff all fits together. Uh, I do like the chorus a lot, but there is there's a lot of uh, bridges in the sky there, yeah. kind of melodically, vocally, thematically, even in the lyrics. Um, you know, the, probably my favorite parts again it, after the first chorus. You know, if, if you're this is the best part about this album, I think almost every time that when they do their first chorus or the second, they immediately go to Petrucci doing his melodic solo you know rather than his crazy stuff that that comes first so you get that you know your your appetite's whetted by that um i like the accents with the big choir sounds and the symphony but and the, the the problem i have with the song is i just it feels kind of all over the place and we start one place and we end up i like where we end up but there's songs in the past where i go i don't know how we got from this to this and i'm and i'm okay with it because i liked it but on this one, I, I'm not so sure about the the ride wasn't that smooth. Let's just say not not to not yeah. to make a pun on the on the being along <laughs> for the ride, which is coming next. But yeah, but I don't know. I I can, I can totally see why this would be yours and probably most people's least favorite and the song they've never played live. Right? It it makes sense. Yep. Yeah, uh, you bring up a good point. the The intro basically has nothing to do with the rest of the song, and I I think you know. We'll, we'll get to more of that later in this record. Oh, boy, will we get to more of that later. Um, but, you know, the song starts, it's got an intro, and then all of a sudden it's in a totally different place. And I think that that's one of those things where when they're trying, again, it's a songwriting thing. When they're trying to fit a long-form songwriting technique into a short form, if you if this song was like one of their nine ten minute long songs, they would have room to bring that intro back and have it make sense, kind of refer back to it. But this, in the you know in this format and with the song of this length, they can't do that. So it's like this intro is like, what the hell was that? It was almost like they wrote the song and then we're like, we need an intro, and they had this completely other piece of music and just stuck it on the front. It's like okay, yeah. I've, I've never heard them have a transition where when that acoustic comes in, you're like, "Whoa!" I, I, I don't yeah. know. It it just, it's just seems like everything comes to a complete stop, and then okay, which you can do that kind of stuff on the astonishing because it's a concept, you know, you know, da da da. Yeah, you know, but it's like but different I don't, chapters. I don't know. It yeah. just felt, it just felt weird. Like it felt a little bit. 
I don't, you know, forced maybe, or just, I don't know, it just didn't flow right. But like, but again, like I said, I got to give him credit because you get to the course and like I said, there's shades of bridges in the sky in there, which whatever. Um, I still like the course, but it kind of goes back to when we're doing the Metallica album. Like, okay, can I find three things I like in a song, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, because I'm still kind of, I'm still real, real leery. Obviously I'm going to find way more things I like on this album just because, you know, the consistency of the band. Sure. On, every, on everything they do, but um, yeah, I mean, they've never played this live before. I can't see any scenario remotely unless they're all sitting around and going, "Well, this is the one we haven't played, so we got to do it." Yeah, um, I, I don't see it happening. No, I mean, it, you know, they're 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 doing a better job of choosing songs live that fit, you know James is trying not to hit that high register. He's, he's keeping in his comfort zone. So, I mean, if you know, maybe they would pull it out for that reason. Um, but other than that, yeah, I completely agree with you on that. Uh, Chastity Crawley says, the vocals have the breathy quality from some of the songs off Six Degrees. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I, I can definitely hear that. There's, you know, J- I will say this, like this is kind of a vocally diverse record for James. You know, we haven't touched on that yet, but I think there there it does go from, you know, some really screaming metal stuff that we'll get to a little bit, you know, a little bit later. And, you know, down to his really breathy stuff, which I think me and you are in agreement on that that is our favorite way that he sings. You know, when he gets really into his ballad voice, I think that's where he shines. He's absolutely fantastic. And, and you kind of get all of it. So, you know, I, I will say that about this record. It's very diverse in terms of, you know, his his vocals and, you know, the delivery and whatnot. So moving on to the second to last song, uh, this is another one of the songs that... I come back to a lot along with the looking glass along for the ride. I love this song. This one we've talked on, on previous shows about songs that are growers, you know, they grow on you like, you know, view from the top of the world kind of grows on you. The more and more you listen to it. And I, I think, you know, along for the ride is definitely in that category for me. Uh, I was like, okay, it's, you know, it's kind of just there when I first got the record and as the years have gone by as I've listened you know, back to songs, I kind of found myself picking and choosing going to this one. And now I listen to it a lot. And the live version, I think, is is awesome as well. Um, and this song is just, it, it's just, it's just beautiful. I think the chorus is amazing. Something about, I, I, I think, I think what it is for me is that it hits right in a beautiful spot tonally. You know, in terms of James's voice, you know, I believe we're along for the ride. I think it's like right in that perfect spot of his voice where he can do. It just sounds so powerful and yet still so reserved and perfect for the for the vibe of the song. Um, I, I I think this song is great, and this is this is just such a catchy song, and it's just a beautiful song. And I, w- I would like to hear this one live a lot more than they play it because they don't ever really bring it out. So uh, this is one I would love to hear. And uh, I'm, I'm just I'm a huge fan of Along for the Ride. And it's I, I like the lyrics. I like the presentation. And th- this is really becoming one of like this is definitely really high up there on my list of top dream theater songs. W- where do you stand on Along the Ride? Along for I, the Ride. Sorry. I am Along for the Ride. And, and I'm going to pitch in gas money, too. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so stupid. Nice. I I love this song, man. I mean, this this 
I don't think so. I hate in my notes. I think this is the most hauntingly beautiful acoustic guitar intro composition thing he's ever done. And this damn thing is only four forty four. I want to hear yeah. like that. That I don't know. I want to hear that thing played like three more times or something. It's like that's the, I love that line. And then you get to the second verse. Switch off the acoustic. He's gonna do all these totally killer things on the electric, yeah, melodically, and it's like bending up and bending down or whatever it's doing, you know. And it's turning into the super melodic riff on electric guitar. You know, one of James' best vocals ever. Uh, keyboard solo is cool because we kind of were revisiting beneath the surface with that ELP synth sound. Yep. I'm always always a big fan of that one. And uh, yeah, I think there's. I don't think there's any question remotely. This is by far the best song on, on this album, and I don't know. You might be. <laughs> I mean, you might be able to make an argument. This is the best song of the entire Mangini era era that they that they've done. I mean, I, I don't. know. There's just something. And again, this is one I had no. I, I didn't even know the song existed until we started the show. We started doing our episodes, and people start talking about "Long for the Ride," and I was like, "I think it was like our second episode." And I'm like, "What the hell is that song?" I don't, you know, I never, <laughs> I never paid attention to it. And then I went back and listened to it. I'm like, "Oh my god, this is absolutely amazing!" James' voice on this. So uh, yeah, for for sure, man. This this I would love to hear this live. Man, best song of the Mangini era. That's that's high praise considering you know there's breaking all illusions to bring up. I mean. I, we know you're a huge fan of that, so yeah, I know. Pale blue I, dot is up there for you. I mean, well, damn. Th- this is this is different though. You know, this this is a lot more melody going on, a lot more kind of to the point, but very introspective. You know, uh, I don't know. They cram a lot into 444, man, emotionally and uh, melodically. Okay. See, I'm, I'm going to ask that question before before we get out of here after we've, after we're finishing after we finished with you know the deep dive i want to see if we can really you know look at look at kale kale says oh boy i missed a lot here sorry guys kale you don't have to apologize for missing part of the show dude you you are literally our first viewer listener ever and you're pretty much literally on every show don't even worry about it well i mean i think i think a small a small apology doesn't have to be huge you know dude kale rules man by the way kale uh may the fourth be with you my man um yeah after after we're done with the record i will i I will ask that question like can we think of like the best mangini era song because that's an interesting thing to think about on the fly um yeah i i don't i don't know about best mangini era song but it i mean man if we're making a list it's definitely up there best mangini era vocal performance no you're gonna pick out of reach i know you you don't need to don't need to go any further you're right i know i'm not gonna I, told, i'm not gonna argue either yeah all righty so now we get into the controversial part of our uh deep dive here at least for some people illumination theory illumination theory this is a song that so many fans just herald as this great epic it's amazing and they love it and they put it up there with the change of seasons and stuff my opinion is no i i said this when we ranked the epics this is easily my least favorite um this is definitely uh 
one of those things like we we talked about with the intro to um surrender to reason where it's just like they they wrote the song oh let's stick an intro on it kind of sounded like that illumination theory to me sounds like they had a bunch of pieces of music and kind of just stuck them together it's almost like if you if you've heard uh the demo version of metropolis part two that they released on the it's a jam series where it's what 26 29 minutes or something and basically a lot of the themes turned into the songs that made up you know the metropolis 2000 record you're like yeah this is just sticking things in there and trying too hard but there was stuff there you could pull out and and extrapolate and really expand upon and really make it something i think this is exactly like that I think there's a bunch of really cool stuff in here, and a lot of it doesn't go together. It just changes direction out of nowhere. And at least on all of the other epic songs, the changes of direction feel like they make sense. They're smooth. You know, it, you know, again, the only way I can, I'm I'm trying to think of a way to be a little more, a little bit more descriptive, but I can't. It just makes sense. The, The changes make sense. Here they do not. Specifically, that middle part it's it's like they they stuck like a sleep cd in the middle like oh go to sleep to the relaxing sounds of the rainforest like smack in the middle of a dream theater song like the hell is that and then you just get this orchestral thing like okay but it i'm like that you know like i compare it to you know count of tuscany the middle part of count of tuscany is really weird like that but that actually fits like, it feels like it's part of the song. This just is like, I mean, I honestly feel like in my head, I can picture the band just walking off stage and just having jungle sounds in the middle of the song. But what the hell is that? So I I do not care for this song. Uh, I just, I, I, don't, I don't care for this song. It just sounds too glued together. That being said, it has some kick-ass stuff in it. Uh, some of the the heavy riffs that Petrucci does are, you know, they're incredible. And that James vocal coming out of, the, you know, that goofy middle part, when he's doing that scream, oh, my God, that's one of his best vocals ever in the entire Dream Theater catalog. And that really is a throwback to stuff like I, I think it's like a throwback to stuff like he did on Awake, which when I first heard the record, I was like, fuck, yeah, James. And. It was even better when you get to, you know, breaking the fourth wall and he's doing it live. You're like, son of a bitch. Hell yeah. So I love that. Um, It's great. Some great guitar stuff. Again, there's some really good parts here, but they don't fit together. And they should have been, you know, I mean, let's say they made a concept record based off the illumination theory. I think that would be kick ass. But as just one song to me, it's the demo version of Metropolis Part Two. You can talk anytime. Oh. <laughs> well, we have, we have a little delay here once in a while when you're doing that. Sorry. So I wasn't sure. No, it's My fine. wonderful internet. Um, so I lo- that's, this is not to be funny. I actually looked up. I wanted to know illumination theory, what that kind of meant. <clears throat> so the early Christian philosopher Augustine emphasized the role <laughs> of d- divine illumination in our thought, saying the mind needs to be enlightened by light from outside itself, so that it can participate in truth because it is not itself the nature of truth. So basically saying like we don't know anything, only God does, right? 
Aquinas' theory of illumination places the gaining of knowledge about the natural world firmly in the natural world itself, since our powers of reason are part of our natural world. Now, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> well, the natural world, I guess that's the middle part. Exactly. You know? So I, what I will say about this song is the last seven, and Kyle kind of um, remarked, the last six minutes and 40 seconds, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. I love the vocal part. We've talked about the part before. Until you struggle through the dark, you'll never know the joy of life. To feel the joy of life, you must suffer through the pain. And, and that's the kind of stuff we did. You did. Everyone sort of needs to kick themselves and think about once in a while, right, when you're down. Okay. Um, I'm okay if we come in to the nine-minute part when the string symphony comes in. Let's just start there. Then you've got the bass riff goes into the angry James, the heavy vocal part that you're drooling all over that you love. Um <laughs> drooling all over <laughs> well no it's cool i mean i, I, I agree I, I love what he's doing there i think it, the james heavy vocal is awesome um 12 and a half jordan piano i call this the <laughs> you're gonna laugh at this so this is the lawyer movie piano theme when he's doing that <laughs> dude, dude. specifically john grisham and the firm so yeah it's it's these dancing chromatic jazzy splices come yep. in and out of these intense sequences that's what he's doing i, I love that type of piano playing uh, he did that on some of that, uh, what was that song, Black Ice, I think I picked from the, it was him and uh, Petrucci when they played yeah. that concert. Yeah, well, okay, so mm -hmm. that album they have, they do a lot of that yep. type of stuff. Uh, but yeah, man, lyrically, I love the I love the end of this and the message it's sending. And, um, you know, the last, so I guess the last 12, and the other weird thing is there's 30 seconds at the end where there's nothing, you think it's over, and then Jordan comes back in with this, this piano outlude which i don't even think most people even know is even on there because if you don't leave it running you know if you turn it off when the song stops you're not going to hear that i didn't I, I i guess i'd forgot that was even in there i did too and I, again i i think that little piece i call it the hidden track yeah i think that that is a perfect example of it's kind of like a missed opportunity because that is a beautiful piece of music i think if you, if you extend that and just keep it going with the guitar and the piano just like that. But you you put a James vocal over that with a little bit of harmony vocal. Could you imagine how beautiful that would be? And instead, it's just, a, oh, by the way, 45 seconds after the end of this epic song, <laughs> like, here, here's this cool thing we had nothing to do with, you know? <laughs> like, Which is them just being goofy in the studio, I guess. And I, I get that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I... I guess my thing is, like, this isn't, like, Ministry of Lost Souls where I'm like, I just, there's nothing about, me personally, there's nothing about that song I find that inspires me that, that I go, oh, my God, this is, I, to me, it's just a big, giant 16 minutes of blah, whatever it is. <laughs> this, if I get through the first nine minutes, the last nine are 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 just are so, so damn good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I wish it was arranged better. Um, I... I get the the big time feel of the astonishing again on the intro to this as I did for the for False Awakening Suite, you know. I can and hear e that. E even the melody at the end of the song, the da 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 da, yeah. da, da you know, there's like you could see the astonishing sort of like happening in there yeah. a little bit. And uh, and I, I'd be curious if they if he took that at all from you know that idea or anything. I, I don't I don't know how that works sometimes with songwriters, but but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know I. 
the people that absolutely drool over this song, I'm definitely not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't ha- I don't have the hatred you have for it, but <laughs> but mainly because I just think that vocal part at the end is so so freaking good. Yeah, I, it, I, I again, I don't hate it. I just I I don't understand all the love for it and stuff. And for me, you know, I you you made a point early, like earlier about how you know with the astonishing and now this ties into the astonishing. I completely agree with that. But as as we also said earlier, with you know the false awakening suite, that sounds like okay. This is it's obviously the beginning of the show. Well, the end of Illumination Theory obviously sounds like the end of the show. You know, so it was it it. To me, that's one of the really cool aspects of this record is you can you could tell that they bookended this record with stuff like th- this is how the show is going to go when you go see the concert. So I, I think that's kind of cool. Um, oh, man, I, I just I can't get on board with the song. I've tried so hard. And I, I remember back in, uh, God, was it 2014 when they put out Breaking the Fourth Wall? Yeah, yeah, fourteen when they put out "Breaking the Fourth Wall," and uh, Aiken got an interview with John Petrucci, and uh, that was the infamous interview I think I've referenced on here, where we ended the interview with you know Chris telling John that he had to settle an argument between Aiken and I because Aiken always says that they're completely undisciplined songwriters, and I say they're incredibly disciplined because you have to be disciplined to keep people's interest for like 10, 12, 14 minutes, whatever. So and and John had a great great answer for that. I'll I'll have to find the audio of that and, and play it sometime on the show here. But um, at the end of Aiken's interviews, he lets the artist pick a song, and John picked you know from Breaking the Fourth Wall. He picked Illumination Theory, and it was just an audio interview. And I I went like thankfully I I was off mic, but I was like damn. <laughs> I was waiting, you know, for something else, but I was like, damn, you know, again, I don't hate it. it, it it's just if I'm if I'm going back to I mean, I would I, I skip this when I listen to the record. I'm like, OK, you know, it's just I don't know. It's, you know, Kale mentioned it earlier in the comments that if it was, you know, a lot shorter, it would be gold. And yeah, I, I agree with that. There's just a lot of filler stuff. And again, that middle part is. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I think it's really cool. Like, when you when you talked about early, you know, when you looked up the meaning of illumination theory, okay, the natural world, whatever. I, that's awesome. But the problem is, is that if I have to hear that, and then I need to know that to appreciate what's going on, I think it kind of misses the mark. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like, okay, like when you say them, like, oh, okay, so it's like jungle sounds and shit because it's the natural world. That's what illumination theory is. All right, cool. But if I have to know that to gain an interest in it, uh, you know, mm, Chesty Crawley, see, you skip songs too. <laughs> it's not that I skip it. It's just that I skip. All right, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that, Chastity. I don't skip it. I skip around in the song because when, when I get to the the sleep, you know, sleep sound CD part in the middle, I go immediately to the you know, mothers for the children, father for that, whatever, like that, that get back to the heavy stuff. Like, let me get to that part. So uh, Kale says, I've heard the band refer to this album as being like a movie and I can see the Easter egg as the closing credits. There's a great flow all up. I just loathe the looking glass. What? 
You got to be kidding me, Kale. Wait, oh, you know what? Here's another one. The, the, look, look at this. And Kale is, I don't know what he was referring to. This is an earlier comment. Because, yeah, that makes, that bit makes no sense live. I think he's talking about the middle of Illumination Theory. It makes it all the worse that they still haven't played Surrender to Reason live. All right, Kale, let me get this straight. You want them to play the worst song on the record, and you don't like the best song on the record. <laughs> the hell is wrong with you? That sounds about right. Kale, what is wrong with you? I don't think I've ever disagreed with you more on this show. Holy crap. Hey, everyone likes what they like. Yeah, but what he likes I, is I, dumb. I, I, don't, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't. See, I love you, Kale. You know I'm kidding. The interesting thing about that is, is there a great flow on this album? I don't know, and I'm I'm like literally not saying that to be flip. Like I I, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, I I don't I don't think there is, dude. Um, again, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to the well and beat the dead horse. They got. This experiment, they got it right on distance over time, because distance over time feels cohesive. It it has ups and downs and different feels and stuff like that, but it feels like something cohesive. This does not. This does not feel like that. But the the problem with your argument, though, is the one that they stumbled the most on was the longest song. Like they kind of were okay on that formula for like. You know, let's just yeah. throw out False Awakening Suite like the other. <laughs> if you throw out Surrender to Reason, okay. So then we have one, two, three, four. We have six songs. If we throw out, if we throw out three, right? We throw out the opener, the closer, and Surrender to Reason. We have six songs where they succeeded, I think, in what they were trying to do. And then when they did the one long one, <laughs> I don't, so I don't know. I I think. You might be losing your own argument there. No, I, no, man, I, I, I disagree. I, I, you know, at least to me, I think again, there's a lot of missed opportunities on this record, and I really think that, I mean, if if you look at it like songs that are, you know, let's say six minutes long on this album, if they would have extended them a little bit, I think they would have been perfect. So you get like an eight minute song. That's what they did on distance over time. But again, I think they were finding their footing with the Mangini lineup. I mean, this was only, I mean, this record was released in 2013. So if they didn't start recording it in 13, writing and recording it in 13, it it was definitely in 2012. So they were only, you know, two years into this lineup after they'd been with Portnoy for like 25 plus years so it's understandable that it would be a little awkward and you know again i trying to find their way without their third songwriter because mike portnoy was that third voice and he was a very very strong creative voice and so without that you know, obviously, you know, we know that John and Jordan are used to writing together and all that. But when you don't have that third person to bounce things off of, it's you get the, hey, is this cool? Yeah. But you don't have that third person that might hear something different. Like, well, what if we tried this? And, you know, Mike Portnoy, he he's a very, very, very good songwriter, man, in terms of progressive music. I mean, I no one can take that away from him. So I I you know, again, that's why I said earlier, I think you, you start hearing it on The Astonishing. 
they fall more into a groove and then it really hits on distance over time and a view from the top of the world. Well, I guess my point is if if if, if we just go song by song and take those six, um, I think the only thing I would like we agree, Enigma Machine doesn't need to be longer. That was probably perfect. Yep. Uh, Enemy Inside, I think, is just right. I I would like to hear definitely Long for the Ride. That but that one isn't even five minutes, so I would love another two minutes there. Yeah. Um, bigger picture, I think is probably okay where it is. Well, I love that song more than you do, anyway. But mm-hmm. so I, I don't know. Yeah, I. I mean, they they definitely two of the last three being the weakest on the album, at least in terms of you know front to back. I think hurts this hurts this album, but you you know it's better than having two of the. Two of the, you know, the three at the, at the beginning, I guess. Okay. You know, so I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with, with what you're saying. I mean, I don't know if, obviously, I guess Mangini probably had very little input, if, if at all, on this. Um, Well, he had some. I mean, it's, you know, he wrote his own drum parts, at least. Right. I don't know. I, I still don't know how much of a songwriter he is in terms of you know guitarist bass drums all that cuz cuz Portnoy did have input on that kind of thing you know right. i i don't i don't know that I, I i still don't know if mangini plays the instruments enough to go hey let's try this like here this riff could go there da 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 um well didn't he write most of the music on the was it the last song on uh, distance over time the one about the car what the hell was that one viper king viper king yeah but oh here uh, we go well real all right so, yeah, I don't know, man. He, that's something I got to look up because I, I don't know how much in terms, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I, simple answer, I don't know. I don't know what he's responsible for in terms of the instrumentation. So, um, you know, again, but like we, like I said earlier, uh, you know the, the albums have gotten very guitar driven the, over the last two, and so you can definitely tell that you know Petrucci's like influences there. Um, so b- before we get out of here, we wanted to do real quick, see how fast we can come up with best Mangini era song. But Brandon Charles has a question for us. If my internet would catch up, uh, Brandon Charles wants to know question for you. You can get to it at the end of the podcast. What are our plans for the future since you've done the deep dive on all the albums where do you go from here uh we still have the astonishing to do so we're going to be doing that late summer uh that's going to be a two-parter because we're going to we're going to do disc one and disc two uh it's also going to be with our very good friend robert Hustead, who uh, is my best friend andy's brother-in-law so we're going to have a special guest host for those episodes um after that in case you have noticed, I have started introing the, the show by saying a Dream Theater-centric podcast. So Brian and I still really enjoy doing the show. We're not slowing down at all. Um, but that's why we've been introducing other bands and stuff into the into the mix, like bands that influence Dream Theater and whatnot. Um, anytime there's anything Dream Theater to talk about, that's what we're going to do. But 
we're going to bring up bands that we like. We, you know, we like the format of doing the deep dives, and I think you know going forward, Brian's not as big a fan of the cage match idea as I am, but I think it's cool to like pit two records against each other. And I think in the future, if we can find albums that have equivalent numbers of songs, I think that's kind of an interesting thing to do to see which one we prefer. Um, but yeah, we're 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 gonna you know kind of branch out into other music, but you know, anytime there's anything Dream Theater to talk about. Or if we can get one of the guys on, or you know, a band that's you know related to Dream Theater or something, we're, we're going to do that. So the show is going to definitely keep going for sure, and it'll be as much Dream Theater as we can possibly, uh, you know, fit in there. Uh, uh, Brian, I, I would I would assume you agree. Hopefully, you do. You're my co-host. If you disagree, then we need to have a serious talk offline. <laughs> well, you said we in, still enjoy doing the show. I don't know about all that. <laughs> a little too far, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, we're going to try to, you know, we knew it was going to come to this at some point. Um, you know, we're still talk about Dream Theater and whatever they're they're doing, you know. We'll probably talk about some live albums, you know, here and there. We'll try to come up with some, I guess we'll go ahead and tease this. We're going to do something similar to the Metallica. So they're doing this tour where they're playing two nights in every city, right? No repeat weekend, yeah. So, no, so they're a completely different show each night. So we had an idea of kind of doing almost a draft, and we got to con- construct, you know, two two nights of sets, and uh, what, we have to pick one song from each album. I think is what we said. Yeah, we're each we're each picking we're each picking a song from each album. Yeah. So we'll we'll each have fifteen songs, and then as, when we each have fifteen songs, we got to we're then going to put them in order and and write a set list. So we what what would the, what would the no repeat Dream Theater set list weekend look like? And so we're going to do that all live. We're not going to like come in and go, "This is mine, this is yours." So that's going to be kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we, I, might, I, we might we might even take people's. You know, if, if we got enough people, you know, pushing for certain songs, and we're on the fence, and we got a tie or something, you know, if people are live. Well, maybe we'll go with with what they're wanting to do too. So yeah. And also, one of the things we came up with for that one is we we are eliminating songs that are too obvious. Because because there are certain songs that Brian and I obviously just gush over. Um, we've already come up with a list of Breaking All Illusions, The Glass Prison, The Great Debate, Metropolis, Pull Me Under. Uh, Count of Tuscany, I can't use that. Okay, Count, Count of Tuscany, uh, Trial <laughs> of Tears. Yeah, basically we we don't we don't we don't want to get to a record, and you know because there, there's a lot of, a lot of you guys in the chat and stuff like that, and we get emails and messages all the time from people, you know that that you know listen to all the shows, and we basically don't want to get to a record and have somebody go, oh well, John's gonna pick this, or you know Brian's gonna pick that, you know we we want to try and force ourselves out of our comfort zone and pick something that we don't normally choose. So we're we're gonna do that, but yeah, I mean, in in a nutshell, Brandon, you know, we're the, the show is gonna keep going. I Brian is one of my very best friends, um, well, and again, I love I think best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tone it down just a little bit. <laughs> look, man, just because I'm able to express my emotions and you're a heartless bastard. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Brian's one of my best friends. Like I, we love doing the show together. We love talking music and, um, you know, I'm personally like, I'm very proud of what we do because, you know, I, I think, you know, I come from a dumb fan perspective. Like I really like this cause it's heavy, but Brian's a, a, a classically trained musician and he knows all the terminology and notation and stuff like that. And I, I, I think that's pretty cool to like bounce the way we bounce off each other like that. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, hopefully- there's, there's, you know, 
like, well, we're going to be going. We, we'll talk about this. We're we're going to be going to see your basically the the son of your idol. We're going to go see Wolfgang Van Halen. Yep. And uh, Seven Dust, and then you're going to leave, and I'm going to stay and watch Alter Bridge. So. <laughs> yeah, Alter Bridge doesn't exist at that show for me. So yeah, so we, I mean, so we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that. You know, maybe when that show comes around, you know, maybe we could do, um, we could do even something like, hey, let's let's pick a best of Seven Dust. We don't, maybe we could do a Seven Dust episode. Why the hell not, man? Yeah, you know, that would be that would be cool. I'd be down yep. with something like that. And Brandon, one thing that like you know. I, we always have like the the banner going at the bottom of the screen, but for anybody listening, anybody watching, like our email address is easy. It's talkingintoinfinity at gmail.com. If you guys have show ideas, shoot us an email. Like we may not be able to use all of them because sometimes it doesn't work in a long form podcast form uh, format, I should say. But if you guys have ideas, man, like we're always open to stuff you guys would like to do. Um, you know, we've got that, you know, you can you can be on the show live with us. Um, we're still working out that link. Uh, I think it's tii.cmspn.com. We're working that out so you guys can actually literally right now, Brandon, if you wanted to ask live, you know, if the link was working, you just go to that link and we'd see you in the green room, bring you on and be like, hey, guys, got a question. So, you know, we really want to encourage the fan interaction, um, you know, people coming on, on camera, people commenting, yada, yada. You know, that's obviously why we've done the fan hangouts, which we're doing this year on December 22nd. Um, you know, and we're trying to line up a whole bunch more interviews. We've got some really cool interviews that we've been chasing for a bit, and I think I think we're going to get a few. Um, we're going to have Paul Logue back on. Uh, he wants to talk about uh, the Queensryche record Empire, but also obviously they're you know currently writing the new James Labrie solo record, so we can get some stuff. You know, talk to him about that and see what's going on there. But um, yeah, so that's that's you know that's that's basically where it's at. That's a very long answer to a short question, but. Oh yeah. yeah, we we love. I mean, show ideas. I mean, for twenty bucks, we'll we'll talk about anything. <laughs> nice. I mean, <laughs> twenty bucks. It's Kale, 50. all right, you got to pull up Kale's comment, dude. Just stay and see Alter Bridge. <laughs> They're on top of their game right now. I I I'm not a fan. Kale, this is like trying to get John to admit that uh, the Phantom Menace is the biggest piece of trash in the history of the world. You know what, you he's, fuckhead. He's, yeah, see, I just dumped for all you all those of you guys listening to the audio version. I just dumped Brian from the podcast for disrespecting Star Wars on Star Wars Day, and that movie is not the biggest piece of trash. It's incredibly underrated, and anybody who's actually a Star Wars fan admits that over and over again. All right, you're back. Have you have you thought about what you said, and are you are you repenting? What is this May the Fourth anyway? It's just the day before. It's Cinco de Mayo, isn't it? When is Cinco oh, Mayo? Sure. Is it always on the fifth of May? <laughs> <laughs> it look, well, I, I will say this: as I posted on social media, as much as today is Star Wars Day, which is huge for me, it's a much more important holiday in my house because my dog Valley turns eight today, so it's her birthday, and we had doggy cake, we had a doggy birthday party, so that's much more important than Star Wars. But, um, well, Chastity- happy birthday. Yeah, she she's such a sweetheart. Anyway, don't get me started on my dog. She's the best. Um, Chastity Crawley, she says, we need to schedule the Octavarium Roundtable. I've been doing my research, and I am ready. So Octavarium in the Octagon. I'm telling you, I already got a title for that for that episode, man. Uh, I'm a, I'll be sick that week. I'm gonna sit down. That's fine. That's fine. I will moderate between you know Chastity and Adam Rishog, Sean Faust, you know. I, I'm all for that. I am all for that. I think that'd be good. 
first of all, because I think it's just a cool episode title. Oct- <laughs> Octavarium and the Octagon is a great title. But... I, I do have to ask, though, going back to May the 4th. So do you, how many Star Wars movies do you actually watch today? On the day of? On the day of, yeah. You have to at least watch one, don't you? No. I Well, no? see, okay, it's different for me. Remember, like, I've got, you know, for those who don't know, I'm the show's on camera. Like, I have Star Wars tattooed on my forearms, for Christ's sakes. So I've got you're the a pretty logo big on my fan forearms. in general. A L- right? little bit, a little bit. <laughs> so I, I, there's something going on Star Wars in my life literally every single day. So a, a holiday like today is for us super nerds to, like, actually, it's okay to be a super nerd. But a lot of us don't actually go bonkers and and go, well, I'm going to watch eight movies and do this, that, and the other. Like, had, had you know, today, May the 4th, been a Friday, I would have taken off work because I haven't gotten to play through the new Star Wars game yet, and I would have taken off work to play through the new Star Wars game. But, <laughs> like, you know, I, I really don't. Um, I do some shopping because you get some really good deals on some cool merch and shirts and stuff like that. But other than that, no, it's, you know... So, all right, hold that thought. My buddy from way back in high school, Daryl Hasse, a show okay. about how the Sammy era is far superior to the Dave era. Well, that might be interesting, Daryl. That is going to have to be over like four or five episodes because I can talk about that for as long as you you want to hear about it. I was going to say, I now th- that being said, I, I love all Van Halen. I have the slightest preference for the Sammy era. Um, in terms of which lead singer do I prefer, it's Sammy by far because he can actually sing and he's not a total stuck-up asshole douchebag. Dave is a creepy, weird goof. One of the greatest front men to ever exist. But goddamn, is that guy weird? And he's just, he's a dick. So anyway, uh, before we get out of here, because we're, we're before we go too far off the rails, Brian, real quick, as fast as we can, you mentioned earlier that Along for the Ride might be the best Mangini-era Dream Theater song. Can we think of one that's better? Can we think of, off the top of our heads, I would I would bring... I, the, the one that pops out to me immediately is Barstool Warrior. That, um, is, that is one that stands out to me. Uh, Breaking All Illusions is up there. I think I'd those are... Those, at wit's end for me. Okay. I, I'll give you that one. Okay. I, I think it's for me, it, 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 on an immediate judgment, like I say, for me, it's Barstool Warrior and Breaking All Illusions. Uh, Kale, Kale completely agrees. He says, At Wit's End. So there we go. <laughs> well, the funny thing about it is, At Wit's End is it's almost a mix of Breaking All Illusions and Barstool Warrior. Yeah, it if really is. If you think is. about it, like in a way. So Daryl says Barstool. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. Yep. We're all sort of in the same. Uh, in the same vein on this one. See, I like an honorable mention that I, I don't think really counts. I'm a huge fan of our new world off the astonishing, but that's just too obvious. And it's kind of like short and single E and I don't know, but I just, I love the riff. I, something about that song is just, it, it's not very dream theater ish at all, but yeah. I've absolutely love that song. So that that's another one that comes to mind, but I, I can't I can't put it up there. Um, yeah, I man, I, I'm I'm gonna stick with Barstool Warrior and, and uh, Breaking All Illusions. So look, look at Kale, <laughs> Alter Bridges in the Sky. <laughs> 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 Got to get that Alter Bridge reference in there. I, you know, Bridges in the Sky. I they 
they seem to be playing that a lot lately, and I I, I always love that song. So I, I'm not gonna I, I'd put that in the probably second tier of the higher you know of the of the tiers, but it's right, it's up there. It's in the it's definitely probably I would put it in the top ten as far as uh, Mangini tongue songs for sure. I think I would too. I, I think that's a good choice, man. So. All right. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's get out of here for tonight. Thank you to everybody who showed up in the chat tonight. Giovanni Palaya, Chastity Crawley, Brandon Charles, Kale McLeish, Daryl Hazi, all you guys. Robert Reams. Have a blast at that Haken show. Uh, great to see all you guys. Thank you very much for tuning into another episode of Talking Into Infinity. We'll be right back here on Thursday, May 18th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, guys, remember, if you're on YouTube... Don't forget to click that like button. Click that subscribe button and smash the notification bell. If you are looking for replays of the show, our YouTube channel, the CMS Network YouTube channel, and you can always download audio versions of the show just by Googling Talking Into Infinity Podcast. So he is my amazing co-host, Brian. I am John. And until next, guys, can't even talk. Until next time, guys, there we go. (laughs) As usual, carpe. DM. Hey everyone, thanks for checking out Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater podcast. Just wanted to remind you that we want you to be a part of the show. If you give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at TIIDT Podcast, we post the schedule of when we are recording the show live. It is a streaming video platform on our Facebook and YouTube pages, and it has a live chat feature where you can comment on the show, ask questions, and we can bring your remarks up on the screen and have you drive the conversation. So again, give us a like on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at T-I-I-D-T Podcast, and come hang out with us and be a part of the show. Thanks again, and carpe diem.